0: Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of Daniel. We're turning tonight to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, You'll find Daniel 7 on pages 744 over into 745 of the Pew Bibles. 744 over into 745. Another long chapter uh, in the book of Daniel, 28 verses. And if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that the genre of the book changes at this point. We're moving into the apocalyptic section of Daniel. And my plan is that we're going to run right through to the end of Daniel. Uh, I have preached Daniel once before. It was about 10 years ago when I was a, a summer assistant up in Donegal. And I only preached to chapter 6. So we're going further than we've ever gone before uh, this evening and over the next few weeks. So Daniel chapter 7 tonight, page seven four four seven four five of the Pew Bibles. And this is God's word to us. before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, A 1,000 served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions... I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom for for ever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom." Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let me encourage you to turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, We're going to look at this great chapter of Scripture together this evening. Uh, this is one of those chapters that should inspire all in our hearts as we think about who the Lord is. Uh, you'll find Daniel 7 on page 744, 745 of the Pew Bibles. H- who is regulating affairs on this earth today? God or the devil? That God reigns supreme in heaven is generally conceded. That he does so over this world is almost universally denied, if not directly, then indirectly. More and more are men in their philosophizing and theorizing, relegating God to the background. I attempt to take a serious and, and comprehensive view of the world. What a scene of confusion and chaos confronts us on every side. Sin is rampant, lawlessness abounds, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. Today, everything appears to be out of joint. Thrones are creaking and tottering. Ancient dynasties are being overturned. Democracies are revolting. Civilization is a demonstrated failure. Who is regulating affairs on this earth today? God or the devil? What saith the scriptures? If we believe their plain and positive declarations... No room is left for uncertainty. They affirm again and again and again that God is on the throne of the universe, that the scepter is in his hands, that he is directing all things after the counsel of his own will. Now you may be thinking, well, that was a very good summary of what's happening in our world today. It was, but it might surprise you to hear that it is part of the introduction to A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God, which was published in 1930. Those words are 92 years old. They feel relevant, don't they? Who is regulating the affairs of this earth today? Who is in charge here? You ever ask that question? Even in a, even in a mundane situation? Maybe you've never asked it, but I've wanted to. You've maybe been in a restaurant or a shop and it's all a bit chaotic and you just want to shout out, who's in charge here? It's a question that we can certainly ask of our world today. It's a question that I'm sure that we all asked at some point during COVID. Everything seems out of control. We move from one crisis to the next. Governments do things that are occasionally clever, but then do things that aren't and everything seems a bit chaotic. It's maybe also a question that we ask on a personal level. Our own personal lives are perhaps fraught with with difficulties and trials. We're experiencing things that we never thought we would experience. And we're asking, is anyone in charge? It's a big question to ask. Evolutionists provide us with one answer, which is to say that actually no one is in charge. We're just aimlessly drifting through space. We're a cosmic accident and everything is random. But yet, there's something in all of us that knows that that isn't true. Our hearts tell us that that just can't be the case. We know deep down that we don't just live in a random universe, but a a purposeful one with meaning. The question then remains who who is in charge? Who is regulating the affairs on this earth today? The very simple answer from Daniel 7 is that God is. God is in charge. And we're going to try and unpack that answer this evening. Now, you'll know that we've been tracking our way through Daniel at our recent evening services. We've looked at some of the classic stories about Daniel and his friends. This evening, though, it will be very obvious to you that the book changes from chapter 7 onwards. If you've done your homework and have listened to the podcast that I recorded earlier in the week about apocalyptic literature, then you'll know about the change in the book. not going to go over all that I said in the podcast, but let me just say this. Apocalyptic writing is is literary shock treatment. It's a, a genre that's supposed to grab our attention. It's used in the Bible when the drama is so perplexing and so overwhelming that what needs to be said can't be encapsulated by normal language. We need to be careful when we're handling apocalyptic literature. That's particularly the case when we try and make it fit in with what is happening in our world today. Let me nail my colors to the mass this evening. Daniel 7 is not specifically talking about the European Union. It's, a, it's not a prophecy about Russia invading Ukraine. When we try and make apocalyptic literature fit in with current events, we often miss the main point of what the passage is saying. And the point of Daniel 7 is very simple, and it's this. God is in charge. The, the, the word apocalypse actually means unveiling or uncovering. In other words, making things clear. And you read Daniel 7 and you think, well, that's not all that clear. How are we going to understand that? It might seem a little bit ironic that it's uncovering what is supposed to be right in front of us. We are going to have to work a little bit harder at understanding the second half of Daniel. So when you come to our evening services over the next few weeks, you're going to have to make a special effort to stick with me. And what we're going to do is really peek behind the veil of world history. You might have at some point watched the film The Wizard of Oz. It's the story of Dorothy and her friends and their journey to see the great wizard in the hope that he can help them. Dorothy wants to go home, the lion wants courage and and so on. When when Dorothy and her friends get to Oz, they're they're initially confronted with a very impressive scene. But when they see behind the curtain, they see a scrawny wee man pulling all the levers, not really knowing what he's doing. We're going to peek behind the curtain of world history, but what we're going to find is the opposite to the Wizard of Oz. We're going to see that God is in charge and that He is working out His plans and purposes. As we begin the second half of Daniel tonight and look at chapter 7 together, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that God is ruling, Jesus is building, and we will be reigning. Let's take each of those points in turn. First of all, God is ruling, and this first point will be longer than points 2 and 3. God is ruling. Chapter seven, verse one tells us about a dream that Daniel has. We're given a very specific time marker in verse one. Daniel has a dream in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. That means that this dream comes before the events of chapter five. It was probably around 522 BC. It's important to occasionally remember that just because the Bible is given to us in a certain order, in a certain way, It's not always to be interpreted chronologically. In this case, Daniel 7 comes before Daniel 5. Anyway, the great dream interpreter now needs a dream interpreted himself. Daniel's dream is explained to us in verses 1 to 8. He dreams of four beasts. And we can understand this dream to be a parallel to the dream Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel 2. Uh, You'll remember from that story that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue and there were four sections to it. The four sections stood for four empires. The four beasts in Daniel 7 stand for the same four empires. The beasts are described for us in some detail. First beast was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Second beast was like a bear. Third, like a leopard. And then the fourth beast is, is different from the others and almost defies description, but it's portrayed as very powerful and very proud. Now, most commentators say that the beasts in Daniel 7 represent the the same four empires in Daniel 2. The four beasts or empires are Babylon, Persia, Greece and Rome. There is some disagreement about that, as you would imagine, but I think this is the best option. The, the, The different character of the fourth beast is stressed. It may have a wider reference to all human kingdoms and empires, especially those that move away from God and his ways. In chapter 2, these empires are seen from a human perspective. They're they're presented to us as, as really quite glorious. They're very impressive. But in Daniel 7, the viewpoint is God's viewpoint. And he describes beasts. These earthly empires are beastly. Throughout the scriptures, but particularly in apocalyptic literature, we read about how governments oppress God's people. That, that, that still happens today. We were, we were praying about that just a moment ago. We, we know that political power can be used for good. Governments can come up with furlough schemes and, and vaccination programs. But they can also oppress people. They can start brutal wars. They can also pass laws that are contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. And they can oppress the church. History would tell us that that it has been a common experience of believers to be marginalized by ruling authorities. Today, the message of government to Christian people is some of what you believe is entirely unacceptable. And if you want to come into the public square, you must either deny it or leave it at the door. The tendency for beastliness in human governments is never that far away. The fourth beast is described as having 10 horns now that's a symbol of strength. But then there's there's this one little horn and it represents a particular evil and opposition to God's people. Now stick with me here. People have suggested the little horn was seen in various individuals in the Roman Empire. But ultimately, this is looking forward to the particular opposition that will come before Christ returns. seems to be focusing on the one the Bible calls the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. When it comes to the very end times, you'll remember from this morning that we're already in the end times and have been for 2000 years. When it comes to the very end of time, the end times, the very end times, the Bible tells us that there will be a period of intense opposition for the church. Immediately before Christ returns, the church will face difficulties that that it has never faced before. It may almost look as if the church has gone under, that it's finished, it's done. God's people will be worn down, as Daniel seven twenty-five tells us. And of course, you don't need me to tell you that there's a lot of debate about all of that. And we're not going to go into it in much more detail, because if we were to do so, we would miss the main point of the passage. Daniel 7 reminds us that in the face of human opposition to God and his people, God reigns. God is in charge. Just as Daniel sees the opposition rising and the little horn speaking proud words against the Lord, we find that he sees God himself. Look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. The thrones are placed, and the Ancient of Days takes his seat, his clothing is white, which, which represents absolute purity. There's no shadow or, or blemish in God. His throne was fiery flames, and that's a pointer to his burning holiness. Strangely, or it might seem strange to us, his throne also has wheels. Did you notice that? Its wheels were burning fire. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, in Daniel's day, people believed in all sorts of gods. And the gods of their day were territorial. If you move from one part of the world to another, you would move into another God's territory. There were regional deities. The question might have been asked is, is Daniel's God like that? Is he stuck in Jerusalem while, while Daniel and all the others in Babylon are, are, are in Babylon? Well, well, not at all. God's throne has wheels. God is mobile. He, he is everywhere. He's even in Babylon. And that must have been very encouraging for Daniel and the other exiles to understand. Wherever they went, God was there. It's true for us as well. Wherever we go, God is there. In his vision, Daniel sees God. And what is God doing? Is he flummoxed by human opposition? Well, no, he's, he's judging. Look at verse 10. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Daniel 7 presents to us these beastly empires that are opposed to God, his, his ways and his people, tells us about the little horn, and it's the epitome of opposition to God. But what does God do? He calmly takes his seat as the judge, and he judges. He doesn't fret. He doesn't have to overcome the little horn with some great battle. He just takes a seat and he judges because he rules. The books are opened. God has taken note of all things and so he is able to judge fully and fairly. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So everything is recorded in God's books. These great empires that, that shaped the world, these empires that dazzled those who saw them, the, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world, the, these empires that had great rulers and kings, they're accountable to God. All their deeds are known to him because he is ruling. Tonight we know that there will be Christians who are thrown into prison for their faith that there are regimes planning to eradicate Christian people and silence the gospel. But it's all recorded in God's book. They will stand before God in judgment one day. One day all evil will go. One day the little horn will perish. God is ruling. He is on the throne. He he, he is working out his plans. Even in the face of the beasts, even in the face of of human opposition, God is ruling. The second thing we see in Daniel 7 is that Jesus is building. God is ruling. Jesus is building. Daniel's vision goes on. In verses 13 and 14, we read these incredible words. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel sees one like a son of man. This is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament on lots of occasions. It often means a human being, but more than that, it means more than that here because of of what God does with with him or because of what God gives him. God gives this one like a son of man an everlasting kingdom. Now, we know who this is. We, we, we know better than Daniel who this is. Over 500 years after this dream, one like a son of man would come into this world. Verses 13 and 14 speak to us of Jesus. That is who this is. Now, what Daniel is saying in verses 13 and 14 is not all that clear. It could be Jesus' ascension. It could be a time before that, before Jesus embarked on saving us. There's no agreement and there is a sense in which we can't be sure of what Daniel sees. But it's Jesus. And Jesus' characteristic way of descri- describing himself was as the son of man. So think of Mark ten forty-five: For even the son of man came not to be served, but to served, serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls himself the son of man over and over again. He uses the phrase 81 times in the Gospels. And it's lifted from Daniel 7 people who heard Jesus describe himself in this way had to figure out, does he mean he is the son of man in that he's a human being? Or does he mean that he is the son of man from Daniel 7? Now it's both of course, because Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus actually quotes Daniel 7 when he's before Caiaphas and the council. He says that from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The reference is Matthew 26, 64. Jesus is the one who comes to the Ancient of Days and the picture we get is that Jesus is building his kingdom. That's the biggest story of the past week. It's the most important thing that has happened since we last met together last Sunday. The kingdom of God has advanced. Jesus is continually building his kingdom. So when you're tempted to shout at the world and say, who's in charge here? Who who is regulating affairs on this earth today? The the answer is actually very clear. You should know having read this chapter. It's unquestionably God. Think of it this way. Imagine that you're going to, to Barry's or to Curry's, I think, as it has been renamed, for the first time. You've never been before. And you walk in and you see all the rides and all the kids on them and all the adults watching. And down at the back, you see the waltzer. And it's that crazy ride that seems totally out of control. Everything is moving and you don't know how or why. You're looking at it for the first time and you're thinking, is that some kind of torture device? Are those people being punished for doing something wrong? But then you see the man working the controls and he's in his little box. He's been there for years and he knows what he's doing. His hands are on all the levers. He knows every movement. He knows exactly when he will bring it all to an end. He's completely calm and composed and in control. We may look at our world and think that it's crazy and out of control. But God is in the control box. He knows it all. All the random movements of history, all the random movements of your life are all part of the big story of how Jesus is building his kingdom. If you're a Christian, your future is incredibly bright. You're part of the greatest story ever told. And actually, that takes us on to our final point this evening. God is ruling, Jesus is building, and very briefly, we will be reigning. Did you notice that in Daniel's vision, he mentions thrones? Look down at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Thrones, it's in the plural. There's more than one. Now, why is that? The Ancient of Days is coming to sit on the throne. There also needs to be a throne for the Son of Man, Jesus. But there's something wonderful that perhaps isn't immediately apparent. If you look down at verse 14, you'll see that Jesus' kingdom is referred to in the singular. It's his kingdom. And that's what you expect. But keep going. Look down to verse 27. We read this. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him the saints of god are given jesus kingdom the kingdom is given to them the kingdom that jesus builds and gains is given to the saints and shared with them it's an astonishing picture god is so generous he saves us he rescues us he adopts us He welcomes us into his family, but he also shares the spoils of his victory with us. Now, it's hard to say what this looks like exactly, but in eternity, we will be reigning with Jesus forever. God is ruling. Jesus Jesus is building. We will be reigning. What an encouraging chapter. Apocalyptic literature, it's hard to understand. It's hard to keep track of all the beasts and statues and so on. But when we work hard at it, and by the help of the Spirit of God, we can be greatly encouraged. Isn't it good to know tonight that God is ruling? That despite all the chaos going on in the world, he is still in charge. That despite all the chaos in our personal lives, he is still in charge. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is building slowly but surely. He is adding people to his everlasting kingdom, brick by brick, block by block, soul by soul, Jesus is building. And isn't it incredible to think that one day we will reign with Christ? What have we done to deserve that? Like, what have we actually done to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. It's only by his grace and mercy that we can receive such riches. As we consider all of those things, we should be thankful that the majestic God of Daniel 7 has worked in our hearts. There's a day coming when The beasts will all be gone and only the saints will remain. When we feel beasts surrounding us, we need to look upward and onward. We need to look up to the judge, to the saviour. We need to look onward to our glorious inheritance. Let me tell you the story of Samuel Rutherford. He was a 17th century Scottish minister. On his deathbed, he was charged with high treason for a book in which he argued that even monarchs were subject to the law When Rutherford heard about the summons, he said this on his deathbed. He said, Tell them I have got a summons already before a superior judge. And I behove to answer my first summons. And ere your day come, I will be where few kings and great folks come. Tell them I have got a summons already before a superior judge his hope was placed in the knowledge that there would soon come a time when this present world would run its course to be replaced by a better one and that day is indeed hastening on when the sands of time will run out and when the beasts will face their judgment but for the saints we will dwell in glory for all eternity in god's kingdom the question is are you ready to receive the summons from the superior judge Are you ready to stand and answer before him? You you would be really foolish not to be ready. You would be foolish not to trust him. That's because Daniel 7 gives us an outstanding insight into who God is. He is in charge. He is regulating affairs on this earth today. He is ruling and Jesus is building even tonight. If you were to trust him, that would be another block, another soul added to the kingdom another person who will one day reign with Christ forever. So will you trust him tonight? Will you turn to him in faith? Who is regulating affairs on this earth today? God or the devil? What saith the scriptures? If we believe their plain and positive declarations, no room is left for uncertainty. They affirm again and again, that God is on the throne of the universe, that the scepter is in his hands, that he is directing all things after the counsel of his own will. Let's pray together. Lord, we realize that this chapter is hard, that there are things that, we perhaps still don't understand that we haven't had time to cover, that we haven't had time to unpack. But we thank you that we can that we can discern the, the simple and plain message of this chapter, that you're the God who's in control. How we rest in that truth tonight. How we thank you that as we look at our world, you're in control. How we thank you that as we Think about our own situations and, and lives and circumstances. How we thank you that you're in control, that you know all things, that you know about everything that's going on, the pain, the brokenness. And we thank you that tonight you're building your church, that Jesus is building his kingdom. And we pray for those who haven't yet trusted the Savior, that they might be added to the kingdom tonight. Another block, another brick, another soul into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, the glorious Son of Man. We thank you for the encouragement from this chapter tonight, Lord, and we pray that we would take it into a new week. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.